0: Welcome to The Lisa Show.
1: Focusing on what someone is saying can be hard at times. Maybe they're not a good storyteller or their story's just boring. Or you're just thinking of something else or you're anxious or you're tired. It's easy to find an excuse not to to listen to someone and focus on all the things going on in your own life, but being a better listener can make so much of life more enjoyable for both the people speaking to you and yourself. So we want to talk to Emily Taylor, who's friend of the show and a certified mentor and author about some exercises that can actually help us all become better listeners. And also to really show us the value that it can bring into our lives. Welcome, Emily. Thanks for being here. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks, Lisa. You know, I think it's really interesting. We've had you come on the show to talk about conflict resolution to really strengthen our relationships with other people. And I think that closely related to strengthening our relationships and resolving conflict is this art of listening. Um, why do you think that being a good listener is is so hard to learn how to do, even though it is such a big part of our lives?
2: Sure. This is just a funny little aside mm-hmm. about that. I was asking, you know, I carpool my kids to school and there's, you know, about, you know, three or four kids a man. I asked them, so how often does your teacher talk about listening? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, a lot. She's always <laughs> telling us to listen. Mm-hmm. And then I asked, I asked them, well, what does she teach you about? You know, what does he or she teach you about listening? And they said, zip your lips, put your pencils down. Put your book away that was pretty much it so we mm. put this really high premium on listening especially to learn or to connect but we don't really teach people formally how to do it That's a good point so our expectations get kind of shattered when people don't listen to us you know whether you're the teacher or you're the spouse or the parent whoever um but there are some particular
1: things we can do to listen better, but we maybe need to teach those things because yeah. they're not natural. You, okay. So that is an interesting point. It's not a natural thing. It isn't something that we necessarily teach because we all know that you could have your pencil away. You could be looking at the teacher and not listening, even though you can fake exactly. it. Exactly. Okay, so this I want to back up and really set this up before we dive into to these specific exercises that I'm hoping to get to. But do you really believe that anyone can be a good listener, or do you think that they have to have certain innate qualities?
2: Definitely, we can learn how to listen better. I feel like the things that I've been studying and you know, trying to use in my profession. Uh, have helped me to become a better listener. But even when I have to consciously think about it, hmm. sometimes I just, even like during the pandemic, I don't know, I think I remember you saying this, you finally find a friend to listen to you and you just pour it all out. Yeah. <laughs> you,
3: don't,
2: you don't necessarily make it balanced. Right. Like I just need to get no, this No, I just out. need so, a download. So having, I have to consciously think about the relationship that I'm going to be talking with someone about or that I'm going to be interacting with someone in a si- certain situation. I have to be, it has to be deliberate is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. That I'm consciously saying I'm going to listen.
1: Okay. So is that how you set yourself up for listening? Uh, I think it has to be a
2: conscious decision. I mean, just kind of stats wise, mm-hmm. 80% of professional, like of a professional life is spent communicating. And that would You know, half the time we're listening at least, and then research has shown that twenty five percent we're about twenty five percent efficient, meaning we're actually
1: getting the information the other person is trying to share with us. Twenty five percent efficiency doesn't seem really great. (laughs) Like I, I'm disappointed collectively in all of us. (laughs) Um, and, And so. The benefits of good listening. So if some people are are, are listening, quote unquote, listening to this, yes. because I think the pushback is, well, you know, I just want just give me the boil it down for me. Give me the gist of it. You know, it's just people yes. talk too much and they are too verbose. So just get to the heart of it. Um, what are the mm-hmm. benefits of really listening? Um,
2: what we call rapport. So that's your actual connection with each other. Uh, respect, it, it can show a lot that you're actually willing to listen kind of as a gift first to set in motion a relationship where you're sharing back and forth. And again, we can do that kind of passively where we're just having, you know, there's a little bit of silence and we just you know, ask, you know, some open-ended questions, but active listening that, you know, we really want to focus on for building connection with people. That's going to require silencing our brain inside. People actually speak slower than someone thinks. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. So there's a space that we often fill. where We're like, oh, no, I really want to go on a vacation to X. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> while someone's talking, <laughs> that we actually have to keep bringing it back. And we also have to choose not to be preparing what we're going to say next rather than taking in the information someone's trying to share with us. So we want to build relationships and connection through listening, not just learning the actual facts, whatever those may be, but you're actually trying to interact and connect with another person when you listen.
1: Beautifully said. So many benefits to really creating like a relationship with respect yeah. and connection and rapport. I mean, we're all starving for it right now. So what are some of those yeah. exercises that we can do to become better listeners?
2: Sure. So the first thing is actually kind of a self-assessment. And this was very telling to me, (laughs) um, very simple questions. And those are things like, do I have my phone out while I'm talking to someone? Hmm. Say you're at a, you're, you know, at a restaurant. And I, I remember this was long, long ago, but this man I was dating before I got married, he would always have his phone out and we were at this like really important dinner, just, you know chatting mm-hmm. and i even having the phone out you know that you may get interrupted and research has shown that people have less deep conversations when they know that they could potentially get interrupted so just mm. the basic self assessment is do you keep your phone out and if you do do you answer it while you're having important conversations mm. so it's not that you can never have your phone out when you're talking to someone, but if you set aside special time to talk, be very careful about how you set up the situation. Does it look like you could be easily distracted? That's one. Okay. Um, another <laughs> is picking a certain part of listening and focusing on that. So uh, I think it helps to explain really briefly you can divide up the types of listening into a lot of different categories, but I, I like to think of them as two. I'm either shifting to my issue or my story when you tell yours, or I'm supporting, and supporting is where I let you go deeper into what you're talking about. So I have recently just – an ex- this is an exercise – Is just decided, hey, I'm going on a walk with a certain friend and I'm just going to be a supporter. Oh. So rather than when she tells me, oh, this happened to me. And then I say, oh, you know what? That happened to me too. And mm-hmm. then go into my story. If, you know, I don't do it the whole time, you know, because you have to, you know, share information, but I'll let that person talk until they're done talking rather than shift it over to me. So does that make sense? So. Yeah. One exercise is deciding, am I in a shifting conversation or am I in a, in a supporting? And can I gauge from how the person is reacting if they're going for that? Like, are they wanting to shift?
1: Mm. We're talking with Emily Taylor about how to practice being a better listener and how to be aware of those kinds of things. I, I think it's really interesting that you talk about the, the two things that we have talked about, uh, taking a self assessment like do, do i have my phone out and and having technology be at the forefront of your own self assessment and then mm-hmm. understanding this these this kind of listening um shifting mm-hmm. or supporting um yeah. so as you're practicing that like okay i'm going to be supporting in this i'm going to yeah. you know dig deeper with this other person are there other things that you can do to try to stay on on track knowing that 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 we speak a lot slower than we think (laughs) yes okay
2: so another thing is do I use verbal expressions to show that I'm listening so we have kind of you know we say things like oh that's interesting or really like in that's more passive Mm -hmm. but if the person's not done speaking yet you'll get you may get to a point of silence but you have to show somehow that you're getting the information and it helps Not to do it too formally, but to do kind of a recap. Things like if I was, again, if I was taking a walk with a friend, I Mm -hmm. might say, you sound pretty frustrated. Is that that what's going on? Or nothing
1: to say like, well, I heard you say. Right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) If I understand you correctly,
1: what you're expressing here is that frustration?
2: (laughs) Nobody wants to feel like they're the subject of like scrutiny. Mm. But if you can gently show, like my sister actually does a fantastic job of this. When I, you know, I'm frustrated, she'll simply just say, wow, that sounds really frustrating. Instead of saying, I had another recent experience where someone, I was kind of venting a little bit, Mm -hmm. and all the person did was defend the other person's actions, and I felt really unheard. Like I was like, I felt really... Not that I want to be justified in saying something rude about someone, because I wasn't saying something rude. I was just saying I was hurt. Right. But then the other person, all they did was say, well, that person, you know, is justified. And so mm. I felt really stupid. So some, just a little bit of a phrase or some nodding of the head, a smile, something to show that that person is okay and that they, you're hearing them really helps yeah um one mm. other thing is just your body language if you're lucky enough to be in person but even if you're on zoom i don't know if you've had the experience of people roving around the house right or
1: <laughs> yes eating
2: dinner or they're they're actually like on the screen looking away talking to someone yeah even if they're <laughs> looking out
1: the window you know i mean it could be <laughs> perfectly harmless but you're like oh never mind
2: Yeah, exactly. So again, like I've, I've taught entire classes and even if there's one or two people that I can see doing that, I just don't teach as good of a class. Mm -hmm. I don't feel connected. So I start to kind of, I get distracted as well as the speaker. So Mm -hmm. there are things we can do with our body language, even virtually that will allow us to demonstrate that we c- we're caring. If, that's, if we're in a relationship and we're in a conversation to show we care, you need to do active listening, which would be verbal and nonverbal.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and so some of those specific things, I, I would think right off the, the bat would be looking into to somebody's eyes. Are there other physical yes. cues that, that you could give as well that are encouraging? Yes. Yes. So even, okay, so turning your body... If you have a distraction,
2: bring it up. Say, I am so sorry. I've, you know, I need to take this call from my mother who, you know, has a doctor's visit or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and then return to the conversation, but let the other person know what's going to happen or not happen so that they, if you're going to have a deep conversation, you need to turn off those distractions if possible. Um, we need to ask questions one of the funny conversations that my husband and I had when we were first married was I'm like, I really need to talk to you and he's like, Okay, go ahead, you can talk. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm like, no, this is more like a tennis match. Like, yeah. I I I, you know, share something and then even if you don't share something back, you ask a follow up question. And then I share some more and then you ask a follow up question, right? So mm-hmm. I think there's some natural different tendencies, you know, between people and maybe between the sexes. But I think to set up your expectation of, hey, when I talk about this, do you mind just asking me a few questions so I can try
1: to kind of figure out what I'm thinking? Oh, wow. You're giving them this sort of roadmap for it, for success. Exactly instead of setting yourself up to be disappointed.
2: You know, that's kind of comes with some experience. But uh, when you ask for what you need and someone actually says yes, that shows a lot of love, right? That they're trying to meet your need instead of them having to intuitively guess exactly how you'd like to be listened to Yeah, and it's very trans-
1: realistic either no, that's true and and it's also being very transparent which you know is requiring a lot of vulnerability too on your part of saying i really you know need you to listen to me and put your phone down yes. and, like this is an important conversation that we're having um nothing feels worse than when somebody asks you something you start to talk and they walk away or you can like the, or they
2: start typing on their computer. Yeah, Have you ever had
1: that? Yes. You've had it, you're on the
2: phone, and then you're mm-hmm. like, "Okay, I'm. I'm not. Never mind."
1: Talk about this. <laughs> yes, it just feels so. It, it's hurt, and I and I I suspect that too, that it affects your relationship down the line and makes you less likely to do that in the future. Like it it it, it has a domino yeah. effect in other areas. Yeah. Okay, so I want to ask you about. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The, when you know you need to be a good listener and every mother yes. knows what I'm talking about Yeah. Uh, um, and you, because the relationship is so important and you're listening to the other person, but you are not interested in what they're talking about. Is it okay to fake interest? <laughs> uh, I think it's okay from
2: time to time, but if that's your regular response to that person, that's going to come across pretty easily. Like, say, for example, mm. I have a son who will tell me all about his um, Frisbees. He loves disc golf. <laughs> yes. So he'll tell me all the latest details of it. But so when I'm in a rush, I kind of say, oh, that's, that's nice. Cool. Or, you know, i kind of, I'm cocktail, mm-hmm. they call it cocktail listening, where mm-hmm. you're kind of listening to a few different things, conversations. Yeah. But there are times when I do actually listen to exactly what he's telling me about, even if it's a subject that I'm not interested in. So I don't necessarily have to say, hey, I'm really listening to you right now, (laughs) but I do make a decision, which maybe I don't verbalize, but that I demonstrate, and I ask, I I show I'm listening because I ask lots of follow-up questions. And I say, oh, hey, Mm -hmm. like, did you have a good... Like, how was it today when you went out, went out there? Did that one work well? And the very fact that I'm asking specific follow-up questions like that tennis match, they show that I actually am listening. And other yeah. times when yeah. I'm cooking dinner and he's talking, I just say, oh, you know, that's cool, whatever. I don't shut him down. But mm-hmm. I think by my very body language, the situation, my lack of follow-up questions, he knows that that's not, you know, I'm not taking the time to be a good listener. If that makes sense, yeah. So it doesn't have to be overt, but it is important. Even if you don't care, especially with your kids, we have. I have a regular bug update with my other son. (laughs) He 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 has insects, and I don't always ask him about them. But it's actually a really good conversation starter. Yeah. You know, with teenagers, sometimes you don't know exactly what you know they are thinking about. But I know that those topics. You know, disc golf with one, bugs and animals and plants with the other. If I start those conversations, I can get into other conversations that do matter more to me and that Mm -hmm. I want to have. So it's a means kind of to an end, but showing of caring.
1: We only have time for one more question, and in that time I wanted to make sure that we end on, on where we began with really the benefits that we can have by putting in this effort to become a better listener. What are those to you? I think at this moment in time in particular,
2: if we become better listeners, we will be able to understand even the logic and thinking of the people around us it may seem so different that we can't connect. Once you begin to really listen and you allow yourself to ask questions and become curious, you start to see that people have often had different personal experiences. They have a different way of seeing the world, but it's not so unlike you that you cannot learn to see a little bit from their perspective. So instead of just focusing on our personal views, our platform, our marketing, whatever our ideas are, it allows us to expand personally because we see into other people's worlds, and it also allows us to be connected um, and to understand that the other likely has some very valid views that lay hidden until we're willing to actually be quiet and to, to be curious.
1: Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about being better listeners, Emily Taylor. Thanks, Lisa. Emily Taylor is a certified mediator, conflict coach, and assistant director of BYU Center for Peace and Conflict Resolution. She's also the author of Raising Mediators, How Smart Parents Use Mediation to Transform Sibling Conflict and Empower Their Children. And you can keep an eye out for her upcoming book in 2021, Conflict Fluent, Mastering the Five Conflict Approaches.
4: Time for another home for the holidays here on the Lisa show, and excited to have not one but two of the pentatonics uh here talking about music and Christmas and Christmas under the stars. Uh Scott and Matt, thanks for joining me.
5: Hi, Hi, thanks for
3: having us.
4: Now, let's talk about Christmas Under the Stars. For people who don't know, it's a, a program available through BYU TV that you can download the app and be able to watch on demand. Um, but you guys are, are artists for Christmas Under the Stars this year. Matt, what was that like when you started collabing with the folks at BYU TV?
5: Oh, I mean, it was a phenomenal process. Everybody there was so overly just- kind and just overly prepared and so professional and we just felt like it I mean obviously there were so many amazing artists that we had seen that had done the special before and so we felt honored to even be in the conversation but and so and I understand why they all did it because when we got there everything would just run so well and it was just such a joy to beat it.
4: And what about for you Scott same kind of feeling?
0: Yeah yeah it was so cool you know we walked in and the set was gorgeous and everything was ready to go and they were just so kind and the whole process was um, really, really enjoyable.
4: Now, if people don't know uh, Pentatonix, I, I would uh, ask you to remove the rock from on top of you and, and you know, just envelop yourself <laughs> into the music that, that you guys bring. But how do you guys describe um, who and what you are to folks?
0: Oh man, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny. I always have these conversations and like boobers because <laughs> they'll be like, what do you And I'm like, yeah, I explain. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we are an acapella group who does, uh, does it all. Like we, we do original music. We cover songs kind of take really popular songs and do them without instruments. Um, and then also we do a lot of Christmas music
4: it's interesting though, because when you say, yeah, we're an acapella group, like, I just don't feel like that does it justice, you know, which is not to knock an acapella group, but, but, it, but it's, far, it's far, it seems far more to that than just, yeah, we're an acapella group that also likes Christmas music. Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, I think that what we do is really, really, really cool because, you know, we have this formula of having a beatboxer have the, the beat going and then we have Matt doing our line, and then we we do some really creative arrangements to make a full sound. And I think that five voices being able to, you know, kind of emulate the sound of having a full band and being able to do a live show with just five voices is um, something we're really proud of.
4: So, uh, you know, BYU TV comes to you and says, hey, you know what, we've had John Legend, we've had Lauren Daigle, we've had all these other folks in the past, which, by the way, people can see on demand if they download that app. Uh, And they say, all right, now we would like you to do it. How do you guys or how did you guys put together um, the, the music that you would actually do as part of the Christmas Under the Stars?
5: I mean it was a, it was a collaborative process. I mean any time we put a set together, it's always kind of a fun um, you know, fun process because we all come together and we find out what we're excited about. We want to do songs that you know that we've are in our old catalog within songs that we released a couple new albums so we want to do new songs as well. And so it was actually really fun in to putting those set lists together.
4: Is there and either either one of you can answer this question. But as you look at the uh, Christmas Under the Stars special, is there a particular song that you're like, oh, man, the way that came together was really awesome? Or we didn't know we were going to be able to do it. And we and we pulled it off. Is there which is your favorite from this special?
5: Uh, my favorite um, moment from the show is actually the opening part of the show when we do I Saw Three Ships and it starts kind of with all the stomps and claps and it's like this exciting new song that's off our new album Evergreen and um, people get to it's kind of just like this. Uh, exhilarating really opening number and it's kind of the camera has fast movements you get to see the crowd a little bit and everybody's excited it just feels very like oh wow this is going to be an amazing special
4: now uh obviously since we're on the radio people can't see some of those fast clips of the the camera and stuff like that but i do want to provide a small sample of that opening i saw three ships so people can hear what it is that you're talking about we'll play a little bit of that and we'll come back
5: I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. Oh. On Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. Three with the sail, those ships all three on Christmas day.
4: So definitely sets the stage for an amazing, like, okay, th- th- we're getting down to it. This is serious business uh, and, and such a feeling. I think, Scott, we've got your phone figured out. What was your favorite part of the Christmas Under the Stars special?
0: Oh, you know, it's hard to pick because uh, there are a lot of moments that I love so much. But there was a specific song we sang called My Heart With You. And we all stood around this light bulb in this dark room. And we sang it through once and it was like just so beautiful sounding. And we hadn't sung it that much at that point because it was a new song for us. And so it was kind of an emotional, amazing experience. And I just love how it was shot and watching it back. It really captured how magical that moment was.
4: And I I feel like, I mean, we're talking a lot uh, about visual elements, but I feel like you can hear some of that. Uh, in the recording of it. I want to share just a little bit of that so people can hear what we're talking about and then we'll come back and we'll, and we'll keep talking about it.
5: waited a hundred years to
2: see your face And
5: I would wait a hundred more If only to be near you To have you and to hear you Isn't that what time is for?
4: So now, gentlemen, we have shared great music from Pentatonics. I'm visiting with uh, Scott and Matt, uh, two-fifths of Pentatonics, uh, and their special Christmas Under the Stars, available over on BYUtv. You can uh, watch it in many of the times that it airs, or you can download the BYUtv app and be able to watch it there. Gentlemen, uh, when you think about your Christmases growing up— What what were your Christmases like growing up? Was it a lot of music? Was it uh, fun and merriment?
5: Yeah, Christmas it, it was it was a lot of music. We've you know, my family is very I've come from a very musical family. Yeah, my dad plays piano and sings and my brother plays drums and piano, sister viola. So we have a lot of musicians in our family and so it's very filled with lots of music and laughter and fun and we appreciate all different types of Christmas music and holiday music all around. So it's definitely a music filled Christmas time for my family household. What about you, Scott? Yeah,
4: my dad
5: plays guitar and sings
0: at all times. And so <laughs> he, uh, we're always doing sing in my house, and my sister sings. That's why I started singing, just like, emulating her. And then also, you know, we would go to Midnight Mass, and my sister Lauren and I would sing Mary Did You Know every year since I was a little kid. Um, which is just kind of a crazy full circle moment that we decided to cover it in Pentatonics, And that was kind of what, you know, was a big landmark for us in our career. Mm-hmm. I, I,
4: I love the holiday season. And I, I think that it would have to be pretty special when you guys recognize that, you know, for me growing up that, you know, it was the Perry Como album. I knew when mom got that out and we listened to it. You know, on a record of all things, that that would be, uh, you know, the the time that it meant that it was Christmas. And and now to know that you, uh, that Pentatonix and your Christmas music is signifying the holiday season for the next generation. That's, that, that's probably pretty awesome, but also maybe carries a, a lot of weight or responsibility.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's one, an honor. It's like such an amazing thing, um, and it's so cool that every year you get to kind of dive back into it. And just to know that we are able to provide the soundtrack to people's memories and people's Christmases, people's happiest time of the year, is um, a really beautiful, profound
4: thing. I have to know, because people love this kind of stuff, um, with the Christmas Under the Stars special, was there anything, like if I'm watching Extra Close, is there something that— uh, is like a little Easter egg of like something that maybe didn't go right or as you guys were planning and preparing um, something that maybe you couldn't agree on or, you know, one of those kind of behind-the-scenes things that we can go, oh, yeah, no, I know. I know what's going on here.
0: Yeah, it's funny. The first thing I thought of, actually, it literally went so smoothly because their crew is incredible, but I do know there was like um – we performed Sing, it was the only like non-Christmas song we did, and I remember there was, you know, Kevin and I both go out in the audience on that one, and there was like a camera angle issue twice, so we ended up having to perform that one three times, but <laughs> the audience was so amazing, and we were loving it up there, so we were not mad about it.
4: Hilarious, they're like, all right, now pretend like this is the first or second time <laughs> that we did this as we come out here. Yeah well I, yeah. I I know you folks to be busy and uh, we definitely appreciate you guys taking the time not only to um, drop in here for the home for the holidays on the Lisa show but also to to come out and to work with BYU TV to prepare that amazing Christmas under the stars uh, you can watch it on your TV as it comes up different times there's still many times available you can download the BYU TV app and be able to watch it on demand uh, what what will you be doing for the actual Christmas holiday this year?
5: I will be going. Ho- I, well, we all we we're on on tour um, right now, and then we end the tour um, right before Christmas Eve, and then we all disperse to our families. <laughs> and so we all go home for Christmas, and then I'm actually getting married right after Christmas, basically. So
4: congratulations. Um,
5: thank you thank yeah. you,
4: thank you yeah not a busy time at all you know just doing a tour and i know you guys were just doing the lighting at rockefeller center which i think is just like uh-huh. a bucket list of awesomeness was it as cool as it seems like it would be
0: yes oh my gosh right before we performed we're standing on stage and it's all perfectly lit and there's a million people out there and i felt like i was in a movie i kept saying it i was like this is so surreal <laughs>
4: Well, I uh, definitely appreciate your time. Um, best of luck. Thank you for all that you do and, and for being a part of mine and many others' holidays.
2: Yes, yeah, thank
0: you so much. Have a wonderful holiday. Yes, yeah, thank you.
1: I make my bed Mm -hmm. and I have a certain order of like when I eat breakfast, when I um, like make plans for the day, when I sit down, when I exercise, when I like have certain habits during the day. Mm -hmm. And if I step back and look and think, I'm sure that if I have this conversation, because I have, you know, with a lot of my friends ask what are those things that you have to do or you just sort of feel off for mm. that day mm-hmm. like for me and and I, I, I if I don't shower every day and get ready, I feel off you know and uh-huh. and, and if I don't, you know, and again, there's just a, a small little list of that. What are those sort of non-negotiables that that make up part of how you live your life? And and a lot of people call them rituals, right? Mm-hmm. Like like every like it's this my morning is ritual. I, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I have to like start the day like with my warm beverage and my you know you know reading this, reading the paper, or you know reading scripture, or writing in my journal, or like people have morning rituals, or like I do my yoga or I watch them. And, and having those and evaluating them has some benefits. So what are those for you? And how important are those sort of rituals that we make for ourselves? How do they really impact our lives? Well, joining us to have this conversation is Jodi Clark, a licensed therapist and counselor to share how important rituals really are. Welcome, Jody. Hi, thank you for having me. What is the repeated impact of a familiar action that we do every day, or as some people call them rituals, have on us?
3: Mm -hmm. Sure. I think one of the most positive aspects of having rituals in the morning is just maintaining a sense of consistency in our lives. I think there's a lot of emotional safety in that, um, rather than the more impulsive, inconsistent ways that we might operate the day. I think mm-hmm. that's just not a good start. Um, so it allows us to have a clear mind, just being more intentional about our day. Um, and it really allows us to kind of have healthier relationships, healthier sense of self. Um maybe our physical health um can be improved by doing these things. And so lots of benefits to having a consistent morning routine.
1: I know that if I think back to difficult times that I've had where I was dealing with something like very heavy or or full of grief like laying in my pajamas and and not doing anything in, in, in the hopes that that was self care didn't make me feel better. Yeah. And, and, right. and kind of switching that and saying, even if I don't feel like it, I'm going to continue these rituals like I do them. And, and, and I'm, I know, focusing more on like the morning rituals, but is that common? And, and what is it about rituals that, that provide what you say that emotional safety?
3: Right. So I do think you're right to say a lot of people would say that feels like self-care initially to kind of let our, whatever the emotional state is that we're in, whether it's just a heaviness of stress or grief or something like that, you know, it certainly creates a heaviness within us. And so there's a sense of I'm just going to kind of nurture this part of me that needs to be tended to right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Fast forward two hours, we haven't done anything very productive (laughs) with our day, and it doesn't actually, um, it actually doesn't help us become more productive or tend to the parts that we're actually wanting to tend to, Um, and so I think it can be a little bit counterintuitive that we're in a state like that, feeling heavy or stressed, to actually get up and get moving. If we have a consistent morning routine, though, that's, that's. The emotional safety is I know I have something that I can mm-hmm. rely on that history has shown me works well for me. Even if I want to lay in bed, my history has shown me that that doesn't actually help me thrive <laughs> or help me <laughs> even have a, a, a expand my outlook of my day and others. Um, it's actually a pretty isolating experience. So if we can be honest with that part, I think, you know, knowing the consistent routine helps us actually thrive and we have history that shows us that I think it's a tremendous benefit compared to people maybe who haven't designed that for themselves yet. They don't, you know, Mm. they don't know that yet. Um, But it's wonderful as you kind of get a sense of yourself to, to really feel kind of experientially how it feels to be you when you're doing things that are challenging even
1: if you don't quote-unquote feel like it Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah it seems counterintuitive yes right
3: Right. there
4: there seems to me though uh, a point where this comes to the extreme or an intersection of where it becomes detrimental Mm -hmm. I always think of like we, you know we see these rituals played out in sports right the the pitcher who doesn't right. change his socks yeah. you know all season yeah. long or whatever <laughs> and when we, we take these sort of attitudes toward our morning ritual and then sort of scrap the day if our morning ritual didn't happen the way that we want it or need it to air quotes need it yeah what mm-hmm. what, what about in that space? how can rituals affect us? That's
3: actually a wonderful aspect of this because we can be rigid. You know, like you're saying, those those rituals that, you know, maybe we've moved beyond something that feels that that feels like it allows us to thrive and now it's become so rigid that it's almost maladaptive, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we if we kind of step outside of that box, then it throws off how we're seeing ourselves, how we're seeing others in the world. Um, that certainly can have an impact. Um we, we kind of lose the flexibility of seeing ourselves as capable just being us. You know, if, we, if it's too rigid, we're seeing ourselves as capable because of our routine. And we're kind of missing the idea that we're capable because we're capable humans. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that I, that we can be flexible and still be productive. Um, we don't need the rigid patterns to create safety for us. And you know, I think a lot of people do. Going back to the idea of emotional safety, um, that it can get so rigid that we don't necessarily feel emotionally safe if if we haven't hit Mm -hmm. our pattern for the day or Mm -hmm. checked all the boxes. That's actually not... Then we're no longer emotionally safe. That's not what we're looking for. Um, So we're relying too much on the task or the behavior and less on ourselves and our human ability. Um, So...
4: If people are just dropping in on the conversation, we're talking about uh, yeah. ritualism uh, with Jody Clark uh, and the idea uh, – one that I think has been sort of a surprise to me, as we've discussed, is the emotional safety that comes from these things. Um, for for people that find themselves in an emotionally trying time, um, whether it's a, a life consequence, uh, either of their choices or just a consequence of life being sort of thrust on them, is that often time when these rituals are developed, or why do we do these things? I actually
3: do think. I mean, that's a great point. I think we we are looking for something, especially in a trying time, that allows us to feel a sense of, when when we're talking about emotional safety, we're kind of just talking about reassured of who we are, feeling flexible with others, you know, something that, that feels predictable in a time that, you know, that may not feel uh, very safe or predictable otherwise. So we're kind of looking to create that for ourselves. I think the trouble can come if we're just relying on that. Um, you know, again, we're not, we're not staying very flexible, and our patterns c- can become very rigid. I think uh, we are looking for emotional safety, though. You know, and I, I actually use that term a lot with people. We're looking to connect with others. We're looking, looking to connect with self. Um, we're looking to connect with God. You know, there's a lot of things that kind of help us create that m- emotional safety, and this is just one piece of that, of having a consistent routine, but yet flexible,
1: um, it makes it, sense. <laughs> for a lot of people, this is really difficult. You know, easier said than done, and they like to live a little bit more spontaneously yeah. and love what that brings to it. And, and and because there are benefits, like you know, being more available mm-hmm. to people and and and, and others. Um, Do you think that 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 this is something that you can change and incorporate if that is how you feel like your nature is a little bit more spontaneous and less (laughs) ritualistic? Or do you feel like this is a is universally applicable?
3: I absolutely feel that people I do believe people can create this for themselves. I think first we have to see the benefit of doing yeah. something like this, because if you look more spontaneously, which is, you know, there are fantastic aspects to that. Um, however, though, if, if we, if we don't have some consistency, it can be extremely stressful and we're not acknowledging um, maybe how difficult we're making things for ourselves yeah. at times by not being very consistent. But in the spirit of being spontaneous, the routine doesn't have to take 30 minutes and involve 15 different tasks. It can actually just be one or two little things that we know work well for us. For an example, um, that if I get out of bed, I'm not going to go on social media right away. You know, so that Mm -hmm. that would be an example of just one very simple, and it's probably easier said than done, but one simple thing that we can do to help start our day on the right foot. Um, And so I would just suggest doing that. That's kind of how that would form. And then, like you mentioned earlier, I know that I get a shower in the morning that helps me wake up, feel refreshed. If I don't have that, I don't, I'm not doing as well. You know, I, it's not that you can't do the day, but you're not necessarily feeling that you're thriving in a space like that. You're just kind of going through the motions and just being honest about where do I really feel my full self that I'm thriving?
1: What and are so some of I know that I can do? And I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, just, I, I feel like no, that, that's going to look different for everyone right know, and 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 in the in the pursuit of inspiration and inspiring people to sort of reconsider all of the things that they do every day which is you know Mm -hmm. a big task what do you feel are some useful rituals that you have heard others you know use in in an attempt Mm -hmm. to for us all to be like oh maybe I'll maybe I'll you know rethink that and try that
3: Mhm i I absolutely go first to the social media, and part of that is because we use our phones a lot of times mm-hmm. for alarm rather than an alarm clock anymore, and it's so easy right there we turn off the
1: alarm, and all of our apps are right
3: there, you know, mm-hmm. and so we got to so check easy. them all.
1: What did I Not miss exactly. while I was sleeping? <laughs> was there an emergency is yeah. my favorite lie, yeah. I tell Here myself. Yeah. There must have been an emergency. <laughs> right. yeah, someone needed me. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. What did I miss?
3: Exactly, exactly. Uh, and we
1: could lay there for
3: 30 minutes, and, and it feels like five. You know, Oh, absolutely. Of, you know, of course, we lose, tra- lose track of time. So that's really because the phone is used so often now as an alarm that I think that's one of the if we're going to pick one, I think pretty significant thing to get started on the right track is to not go to social media right away. The other thing is making your bed. And I know that sounds pretty cliche, but there's something about the visual cue of having a clean space helps us feel, you know, helps us minimize some emotional or mental clutter. Also, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, we feel like we have room to move around. We're they feel capable and responsible, and especially if we're sharing a space with others, that we're conveying a sense of trustworthiness too that I, I care for myself, I care for mine or our space, um, and then I'm in partnership with you. So if you have, you know, roommates or spouse or something like that, that we're conveying something about ourselves also um, by doing simple things like or tidying up our room or making our bed um, uh, and then also there's the cue of I'm not getting back in here <laughs> yeah
1: yeah. <laughs> it's not as inviting yeah. oh mess it up Correct. and redo right. all that work okay right. yeah I'm up I'm up <laughs>
4: Exactly. You know, it's interesting, Jody. you can't see it, but Lisa shooting all sorts of side eyes towards me because she knows uh-huh. I don't make my bed.
1: Here's the deal. He doesn't even think about it, yeah, and I just want him to consider no, it. Here's the
4: deal. Sorry, I, right. I tried making my bed as soon as I got out of it, but my wife is like, what are you doing? Just let me sleep. So, unfortunately, I have that excuse where I don't have to make my bed. I sure. love...
3: Okay. I, okay. I, I love I love
4: the signifiers to some of these things, whether they be to the other people yeah. who are trying to live intentionally or to ourselves to say, hey, no, we're yeah. not doing that again today until mm-hmm. tonight when it's time to go back to bed and, and some of those things, yeah. very specifically with the bed. Right. Let me ask you, uh, where you are someone who studies and speaks and, and um, you know, observes these different sort of rituals, tell me about a ritual that you had that you've changed and how it's affected you.
3: Interestingly, mine, I would say the biggest change I had was— is I would start the night before with a better sleep routine. Okay, <laughs> tell me about it. And I know kind of talking about the morning, but um, but I used to be a night owl, and mm-hmm. and I have children, so it's easy for, especially if you're a mom, to kind of become a night owl just <laughs> because you. So you're when you can get stuff done, and yeah. right, yeah, and you get things right. <laughs> so they're older now, so um, you know I have an opportunity to go to bed at a reasonable time, but. Um, But I made an intentional effort to do that because I knew if I... I I just worked better in the morning. I could actually get up and do the things that I was really needing to do to start my day well and with intention. Um, But it really started with me um, being deliberate about my sleep hygiene, if you will. So Mm
4: -hmm.
3: it was about going to bed at a decent time, getting off the screens, you know, an hour before... Um, different things like that, and just allowing myself to even get a reasonable night's sleep so yeah. I could wake up and start start fresh.
4: And has it mattered?
3: Um, made, oh, it's made a huge difference in my life personally. <laughs> I, I can't even explain how well. I mean, I, I really, it helped me get honest with myself of what I was looking like before when I didn't have the, mm. you know, I had always identified kind of as a night owl um, and then even maybe with some of your folks, you know, being a college student or a young parent or something, there there are good reasons for us to to stay keep late hours. Yeah. Um, but are we thriving there? Probably not. I mean, we're able to do it, <laughs> um, but when you have an opportunity to create a different pattern for yourself, it does kind of require us to get honest. Of here are the things I enjoy, but here's where I do well. Um, and how can I find a balance of these things? So,
4: getting honest with um, ourselves the, and creating those sort of ah, pathways that we can intentional have Pathways for success. Yes. We've, been, we've been visiting exactly. with Jody Clark, who is a licensed therapist dedicated to helping people uh, live well and lead healthy, fulfilling lives. If you want to find out more about Jody Clark and her practice, you can go online to jodiclarkcounseling.com. dot com. Thanks for being on the show, Jody.